Well, it's absolutely great to be with you today, and uh, I trust that you'll get something from our time together. Um, one of my first uh, secrets about good communication, my father taught me. He said, be good, be brief, and be seated. <laughs> so it is, it is certainly my, my intent today. I'm going to be just like a miniskirt, short enough to be interesting, but long enough to cover the subject matter. <laughs> I'm from Georgia. We get away with things that you can't get. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. What, what a joy. What a joy. Um, God has given you a wonderful pastor here. Uh, I, I love the vision of his heart. I love the process that he has gone through, and uh, I, I celebrate uh, Pastor Chris today, his leadership, his wife, his family. Wow, what a gift, what a gift, what a gift, what a gift. And uh, I celebrate Pastor Terry for his, his visionary father's heart. Wow. My. You know, my, uh, my, my youngest... Uh, son uh, finished Yale Divinity School uh, a few years ago, so I hired him as my executive pastor to try to get a return on my investment. <laughs> and uh, so uh, I, have to, I have to watch people like uh, Pastor Terry so that they can teach me how to do the process of transition uh, in the life. And, and uh, it's, it's not because I don't have anything else to do. It's because I do have other things to do, and I, and I want to be able to trust. So I, I envy you today and, and just where you are, and, but thankful to God for the Father's heart, for your listening to God and for empowering others to be able to come after you and strengthening and causing the continuity of the local church. So thank you so much. Thank you for who you are, for the investment that you've made over the years, my goodness, and continue to make. My, what an incredible, incredible blessing. Well, I, I think that I'm going to take a little different turn. I mean, you know, one of the things, I, I hate listening to myself deliver the same message twice. For so many years in my own church, I was doing three services and I'm doing a different a message in every service. Not because they needed a different message, just because I was getting bored with the one that I'd just done. <laughs> so we get something different here in the second service today. And uh, just, just so that I don't get bored, because I heard I was in the first service. <laughs> and, uh, and let me just say this as a, as a spiritual principle, that the second one takes the blessing. The second one takes the blessing. If something is a truth biblically, then you will find a vascular uh, uh, evidence of that down through the scriptures. And if you look in your Bibles, you'll discover that it wasn't the first Adam, but the last Adam, the second one, Jesus, that actually blessed the world. Adam and Eve had two children initially. Remember Cain and then the second one, Abel. Abel's offering, the second one, was received of the Lord, not the first one. It was the second one that actually took the blessing. You remember Abraham had, uh, he had two sons. His first one was Ishmael and the second one, Isaac. Isaac took the blessing. Isaac had two boys, remember? Esau and then Jacob. 
And remember the birthright belonged to the firstborn, Esau, but the second one got it, Jacob, and Jacob took the blessing. Uh, one of Abraham, uh, uh, you know, uh, Joseph, uh, his, one of his, his, his boys, you know, that, that came on down. Remember Joseph had two boys. The first one was Manasseh. The second one was Ephraim. And remember the granddaddy conferred the blessing. The right hand gave the double portion. He didn't put it on the firstborn, Manasseh. He crossed over and put it on the secondborn, Ephraim. Manasseh means the Lord has caused me to forget my affliction. But when he put it on Ephraim, the Lord has caused me to prosper. When he put it on Ephraim, the double blessing came not on the first one, but on the second. Remember the first king of Israel, Saul, and then the second one, David? David took the blessing. Jesus became the son of David, not the son of Saul. It was the second king of Israel, not the first one, that actually took the blessing. And, and, and remember, uh, it's not the, the, the first set of books that we get, the Old Testament. It's the, the New Testament, the second covenant, uh, the, the new covenant. It was a better covenant established upon better promises because the second one takes the, the blessing. But you can't build a second story on a vacant lot. And, and, and think for a moment, which one really blessed you? Was it your first birth or the second birth when you're born again? The second one takes the blessing. The second one takes the blessing. Now, when I say the second one, I don't just mean one, two, like first, second. I, I mean the first one, which is, is, is natural. We're born of the water and then born of the spirit. The second birth is it's incredibly the, the, the better one. The second one takes the blessing. One is the, is, is the flesh. The other one is the spirit. And so sometimes when you launched out to do something, the first time we were working in our flesh. But when God gets a hold of you and he enlightens our spirit, he empowers us with understanding. We learn from the mistakes of the first thing. And then the second one takes the blessing. The first one is the flesh. The second one is the spirit. And it's the second one that takes the blessing. So it's not always just one, two, because sometimes we do one, two, three, four in the first dimension. The second dimension is the dimension of the spirit, where God then brings us into a place. And it is interesting to note how God uses us in such strange, different, and diverse ways. You you, you notice how um, when you have a bottle of water, you know, practically on every bottle of water. If you look on the label somewhere, there's an expiration date. It's not because water expires, but it's because the container that holds it expires. So the expiration date has nothing to do with the water. It has everything to do with the container. We're all containers, carriers of his grace, carriers of his vision, carriers of his anointing, but we've got an expiration date. And every now and then, even as we age, we're reminded of our expiration date. Uh, I, I, I saw one lady. I thought she'd been in a car accident. I said, what happened to you, honey? She said, I slept wrong last night. <laughs> Another man, you know, he'd, he'd pull a muscle in his back. I thought he'd been in a car accident. And he said, I sneezed too hard. <laughs> I mean, you, sometimes you get a certain age, you just, you, you, you can wake up in the morning and something is wrong. 
that wasn't wrong at night when you went to bed. And so sometimes we get up in the morning and look in the mirror just to see how much damage has happened overnight. <laughs> it's so much different than our childhood injuries. I fell off my bike. I fell off of my skateboard. I, you know, I was playing basketball. I was playing football. But, you know, you can just get a certain age and I sat down too long. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and something has happened. It's, it's just different. And it's, you, you have to laugh in order to keep from crying. But it makes the journey just that much more, more fun. It, it, it really does. But what I want to talk to you today in this service about is our, in the first service I talked about four words. In this service I want to talk about three. The first word is the word catch, catch. It's like when somebody throws you a ball and you catch it. Abraham caught a dream from God. Genesis chapter 12, he just caught a dream. He caught a dream. There's sometimes that God doesn't speak to us as clearly as we would like while we are awake. So he has to visit us in the night moments when our minds are quiet. And he then opens revelation in the hearts of men and women in a night season. And I'm just telling you, your best music comes out of your darkest nights. The most powerful visions don't come in times of comfort and convenience. They come out of times of controversy and challenge. The best things that happen is when God brings out of the darkness what he's been working on because for God, God's day starts at nighttime. Have you ever noticed Genesis chapter one and the evening and then the morning were the first day and the evening and the morning were the second day and the evening and the morning were the third day because God's day begins at night. Isn't it amazing? When nobody can see you, when nobody knows your name, when you're anonymous to the world, when you're obscure, you're on the backside of the desert and nobody sees you. Nobody is calling for you. That's when God is working. Right in the midst of that. And there are certain of us that are planted in the house of God and nobody sees us. You know why? Because there are certain things that grow totally underground. Like a potato. They don't grow on top of the ground. They grow underground. Beets, underground. Onions, underground. Carrots, underground. Uh... Jesus came out of Jesse, out of the root, a dry root. In other words, God says, I will take the most unlikely environment and I'll breathe on it and let something so productive come out of what looked like a negative environment. But here is a 75-year-old man who catches a dream from God. And God speaks to him and tells him. I'm going to make out of you a great nation. And he didn't have anything. He's 75 years old just getting a word from God. So please don't, don't, don't think you're too late if, if it looks like you're running behind schedule. <laughs> Keep dreaming. You are as old as your last dream. You're as old as your last dream. My daddy was still dreaming at 75 years old. I watched him. He, he, he became a multimillionaire in the, in the hair cosmetic manufacturing business and um, I watched him go over to Alabama 
And he bought a resort over there on 700 acres of land. He said, I like this place. It was run by medical doctors. They were bringing people in, heart attack and stroke victims and using chelations and all kinds of alternative medicine treatments. He fell in love with the natural hot mineral springs that had 62 different minerals in it. So my dad decided to buy the place. It came with a motel, 91 different rooms in it. So I've spent a lot of time there. It's incredibly relaxing. And, And I would go there with my dad and he's sitting there, 75 years old. He's just dreaming about the future. Dreaming about it. 75. Abraham was 75. He caught something from God. He caught something. It's amazing that God would entrust us just to be able to catch something from him. Just to catch it. That's that's what a woman does with a man when she's with her husband. She catches a seed. The moment that she catches that concept, it begins at that moment. At the concept, you have to catch the concept. You catch an idea. You catch a divine thought. You catch a word. You have to catch it. And sometimes you can be in the midst of a place and the person sitting right beside you heard the same thing that you heard, but they didn't catch it. And see, when God, he's like a divine quarterback. He's trying to get the ball to somebody who's open. You got to be open. You got to be searching. You, you, you got to be, you got to be already in motion. There's some people that don't want to bust a move until they get a ball in the hand. But you got to run while your hands are empty. And while there's an eye that's on you, that's searching for you. Because may I just say to you prophetically that God has your name on the tongues of people that you may not be aware of right now. That are considering you, who are in positions of power and uh, to be able to call you and promote you. And be able to expose what God has been working in the darkness in your life. Just trust me. And that's why if you just be faithful, there's there's something about faithfulness. God doesn't commit to talent. He doesn't commit to ability. God commits to faithfulness. And when we are faithful in the place where God plants us, faithful in the place where he plants us, if you're faithful in just the place where God plants you, my God, you have to get ready for a harvest that's coming through the faithfulness of God. Just because you catch, it's like being on a basketball court. They're looking for somebody who's open. Somebody who's in position, somebody who's already in motion. You don't pass a baton to a person sitting there waiting for their turn. You serve while you wait. You got to run behind them when nobody's calling your name. When nobody is cheering for you. You got to run while you have no promise of getting anything. You got to run with an empty hand, but a willing heart. And when you run with an open heart, a willingness in your heart, Then at the appropriate time, the baton is not actually passed backward, it's passed forward. Because you have to overtake them. And this is why uh, John the Baptist said, he must increase and then I must decrease. And there are some folks that cannot decrease until you increase. Until you rise up. Until you develop. Until you break through the ground and come out of your obscurity. He must increase. She must increase. And when she increases, then he can decrease. And then and, and there's an overtaking, but there's, there's this catching that we do. Catching concepts, ideas. It, you know, money follows ideas. It's not the, the idea that produces the money. It's the money that produces the idea. They, they, they sort of play off of each other. You get the right idea from God. If you catch the right idea, just just one divine thought. One divine thought from God can change your life forever. Just one thought. Just one God-given idea 
can transform you from a pauper into a king overnight. Just one, just one divine idea from God. That's all, just, just, just one. Can shift the whole trajectory of your life. Just one idea, not ten, one. Just, just one. Just, just one. If you get the right one, that one idea can change your whole destiny. It can change the whole world. When you know most people that are outstanding, they're not known for 10 different things. They might be talented. The Bible says that a man's gift, singular gift, even though you can be multi-talented, multi-given, but he's talking about your dominant gift, your dominant gift. If somebody said, uh, called out the names of certain people, you would know beyond the shadow of a doubt what their dominant gift is. You would know. I mean, you, I mean, you don't know Elvis Presley from farming. I, I mean, there are just certain people, if, if I said Barbara Streisand, you wouldn't say, you know, she's a great cook. You know, we know people, if you, if you call them, if I said Serena Williams, you, you, there would there'd be one thing that would pop into your mind. If I said Tiger Woods, that'd be something that would pop into your mind. Or LeBron James, something that would just, not, not ten different things, that would be one dominant thing that would pop into your mind. All it takes is just one idea from God. Abraham came into history, into prominence, into notoriety by that one thing. The psalmist said, one thing about his out of the Lord, not ten, not two, one. One thing. It is the power of focus. Because focus will make whatever is in your life stronger and better than, what it, than, than anything that you have. The areas of your focus are the areas of your reward. The areas of your focus are the areas of your reward, and the areas of your neglect are the areas of your pain. If you neglect your health, it will give you pain. If you neglect your marriage, it will give you pain. If you neglect your studies in school, it will give you pain. If you neglect your responsibilities on your job, it will give you Pain. If you neglect your budget in handling your finances, it'll give you pain. The areas of our neglect are the areas of our pain. But the areas of, of our focus are the areas of our reward. And if you're persistent, you'll get it. If you're consistent, you'll keep it. And if you're grateful, you'll attract more of it. It's amazing the way that it works. Abraham caught a divine idea from God. His most outstanding word is father, father of many nations. And how could a man prophetically wrap his mind around that one divine idea of being the father of nations when he didn't have one? God will talk to us, not out of what we see, but out of what he says. Because of the power of who he is. And he gave him something. He was able to simply catch a dream from God. Now, remember that it took 25 years for that dream to manifest. And you've been waiting how long? Just think about it, 25 years. That's why you've got to get time. Time gives us perspective. Time gives us perspective. That's why the farther back you look, the farther ahead that you're liable to see. Time helps us to understand some things, what God is doing. So when he was now 99, he still hadn't received that promise yet. But God hadn't forgotten because he'd caught something from God. He caught it. I told you the first um, three words. The first one is catch. The second one is carry. 
He allows us to catch something and then carry it for a number of years. A, a, a woman catches a seed and she carries it for nine months. When you plant an apple seed, it takes two years before it will produce the first apple. When an elephant gets pregnant, catches a seed, it takes two years in the gestational period before the elephant has a baby elephant. There are different things that have a, a different a, a longevity in the gestational period. And I want you to think of it like a, like a major airplane, a 747, a 767. The bigger the plane, the longer the runway is necessary in, off to get, in order to get it off the ground. A little twin engine jet can almost just take off from a, a high school a football field, but not a 767. The bigger the plane, the longer the runway. And so Abraham had something that was going to impact destiny in three major religions, Islam and Christianity and Judaism. All of them looked to Abraham, Father Abraham, because he heard something at 75 and didn't receive it until he was 99. But at 99, he had heard this thing, this prophetic promise, had no physical evidence that it was going to happen. But at 99, God called him outside of his tent. And said, Abraham, look up. And he said, I want you to count the stars. Count them. Just, just count them for me. Count them. And can you imagine not having a, an organized way to be able to section off a particular section of them so that you can start counting? I can imagine just trying to count stars. But God told him to count them. May I tell you that our scientists have estimated the number of stars that are in the heavens? And they say that there are 10 sextillion stars in the heavens. 10 sextillion. About double the number of the grains of sand on the earth that's double in the heavens. The stars in the heavens are double than the grains of sand on the earth. That's how many stars that there are. Scientists tell us that. Now, I, I, I worked in accounting for a number of years, and so I, I, I'm really good with numbers. In fact, I'm so good with numbers, I've counted to infinity twice. <laughs> but no, no, I, I really loved, I was a math whiz. I, I did trigonometry as a hobby. It, I, I just loved it. I, I was really good with numbers. And, um, and so let, to help you to get an idea of what Abraham was looking at, he takes him outside and says, look up and count the stars, so shall your seed be. Until God gave him a physical manifestation of what he had been hearing, his faith could not be fully engaged because faith is not merely hearing what God says. Faith is seeing it. And when I see it, now I've got it. If I get a picture for it, the clearer your picture is, the greater the chances of that thing becoming a reality in your life. So God gave him a picture. He had only been hearing it. It's the same as Job chapter 42 verse 5 where Job said, I have heard thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Now my eyes see. He said, I've heard it, but now I see it. Abraham is in this place now where what he's caught from God and he's carried for 25 years. Now he's about to go to the next level. God is saying, I want you to count the stars. Ten sextillion. A, a, a sextillion is one followed by 21 zeros. It's 10 to the seventh power. It's, this is a lot of zeros. And just to help give you an idea of that, you know what a, a million is. A thousand million is a billion. A thousand billion is a trillion. A thousand trillion is a quadrillion. 
A thousand quadrillion is a quintillion. A thousand quintillion is a sextillion. And listen, I didn't come to surprise you with a bunch of mellifluous, grandiloquent sesquipedalia in elocution today. I wouldn't come to Texas and do that. But I just came to tell you that there are 10 sextillion stars in the heaven. And God says, look up, Abraham. Count them, so shall your seed be. And when God is telling you that and he's showing you something and he says, this is what I'm going to do. God put him in an atmosphere that stretched him. And he's like, and you're believing me for how many? And there were 10 sextillion stars that he was looking at. And God was saying, you're looking for how many? How many? He's just believing God for one. One son of promise. Just one. Just one. And God shows him 10 sextillion. It is the same as God speaking to Jeremiah the prophet in Jeremiah chapter 18. And telling Jeremiah, get thee down to the potter's house and there I will cause you to hear my words. Why didn't God tell him what he wanted to tell him where he was? He could obviously hear God telling him if he was telling him where to go. It's because God wanted to wait until he got in the environment because what God was going to say prophetically, he needed the environment to be able to properly interpret it. Because what God was going to talk to him about was productivity. So he put him in a place where productivity was going on. Get thee down to the potter's house. And if you get in the potter's house where things are being made, he says, I want you to be around producing people. Because you won't understand what I'm doing. That's why he put Adam and Eve in a garden where every place they looked, there was something growing. Here's a vine here with tomatoes. Here's another vine with watermelons. Here's another vine with okra and, and greens and all of this. Every place Adam and Eve looked was growth. And then God put them in an environment and says, be fruitful and multiply. When every direction that they looked was being fruitful and was multiplying. So God told him, get in an atmosphere where the atmosphere will prophesy to you. So he said, I want to bring you to a big place like Texas. I want to let you see so much land. I want to stretch you. God will put you in a place that will stretch and challenge the very essence of who you are, but it will stretch you. The beautiful thing about being stretched is that once that you are stretched, you can never get back into your original condition. You can't unsee it. Once you see it and been exposed to it, something changes. There have been things that, uh, that I've seen working in other places. And I came back and shared it with my staff and they said, you can't do this. I said, what do you mean you can't do it? They said, this can't be done. I said, I've already seen it done. You're too late. You're a day late and a dollar short. It's too late. I know that it's possible now. A friend of mine that pastors in Singapore, the Lord had given him a vision for building this 3,000-seat sanctuary. And because of setback laws, he couldn't build it to the extent of that property, which he needed every inch of it in order to be able to get the 3,000 seats in it. And he was frustrated out of his wits. And he went to sleep that night, and he caught something in a dream. And God says, sure, you, you've got to have setback laws for your, the government regulation, so you can't build to the extent of your... But he said, yeah, I gave you the vision. But now I'm giving you another vision to be able to show you how to do it. He says, build it underground and then you can use every inch of your land. 
And I come up to this vacant lot, get on an elevator and go four stories down into the ground and open up and here, bam, 3,000 seats. He was able to build the whole thing and he saw how to do it in a dream. But he had heard it years before, didn't know how he could do it. But God showed him in a dream. He caught it and he carried it for some years before the manifestation came into place. What is it that you've caught from God and that you're carrying, but you're frustrated because you haven't seen the next step? God gives you enough light. His word is a light to our feet and a lamp to our pathway. It's just to show you all you need is enough light for the next step. You don't need for 20 miles down the road. You need it for the next step. Faith is having enough light for the next step. For the next step. You can't see it. The headlights of your automobile, if you're driving in darkness, you can only see so many feet ahead of you, but you're driving so many feet per second. And so it's not an extended long view, but he gives us enough to be able to make the next step. And so he takes us to this place where you catch something from God. God gives you a word. You catch it. And I want you to think that every time that you sit under the word of God, whether you're reading your Bible, whether you're in church, whether you're online and you hear a word from God, catch it. It's like, did you catch that? You have to catch a joke. If you don't catch the joke, you can't laugh. It's not funny. You have to catch it. And then you carry it. Here's the third word, convey it. You catch, you carry, you convey. You catch, you carry, you convey. Wouldn't it be crazy? For a football player to catch a ball, carry it two feet and just stand there with it. No, no, no. You got to convey it over the, over the goal line. You, you can't just catch the basketball. You have to convey it to the basket. You catch it, carry it, you convey it. Whatever God starts in one generation, they catch it and they carry it to that generation. But then they have to convey it so that it keeps on going. I wrote a book with Dr. Sam Chan, and we called it the, the Planning Your Succession. And here was our thesis. is that succession planning is not about filling a vacancy. It's about the continuity of an organization. It is so that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ keeps marching forward. It is so that the business continues to thrive even though the founder dies. It's for the continuity of an organization. You, you, you plan a succession so that this thing outlives us. That's what legacy is. I was with a Jewish friend not long ago, and it, it, when I, I was talking to him about legacy, and he said legacy in Hebrew refers to river, refers to a lake. It's a flowing thing that, that keeps on moving. History is about what happened. Legacy is about what you set in motion. It's about what you set in motion. It's about what you catch, what you carry, and what you convey to keep on going after you're gone. It's about catching it, carrying it, and conveying it. When God gives a message, if he speaks to my heart, I'm trying to catch the word from heaven. I carry it in a gestational uh, moment of time, and I just germinate on it in my spirit. I'm just carrying it. I, I, I chew on it sometimes. You know, I, I'm carrying things right now that I won't minister until three months down the road. I'm just carrying it right now, but I'll be convey it at the right time. There's some things that have to just sit on the oven and, and slow cook. You catch it and you carry it and, and then you convey it. You catch it, you carry it, and you convey it. You catch it, you carry it, and you convey it. And here's what happens that oftentimes in the carrying process, sometimes we fall. 
And little did I ever understand this until one day I was in the, in the room with my, uh, one of my, I have got nine grandchildren and, and one of my, uh, my oldest granddaughter, she was probably only four years old at this time, and, and she, she, I had given her a little piece of crayon to, to color, you know, just to keep, the, keep her busy, <laughs> keep her from disrupting me. And she's in the room with me, and she's got her one little piece of crayon, and she's artistic, and so she's coloring. And all of a sudden, she, she presses down too hard with that one piece of crayon that she had, and it broke. And she began to cry. And, and, and all of my grandchildren, they call me G-Daddy. And so G-Daddy comes over to try to fix it and make it better. And so I, I come over to her, and I, I take... Uh, the, the two pieces of the crayon now broken. She's crying. And, and I said, you see your little cousin there? I said, she doesn't have anything to, to, to color with. I said, now you have something to share. And I said to her, you have nothing to share until you've been broken. And I'm thinking that the revelation of God would stop her from, from crying. She's still crying. <laughs> And then I asked, I said, Lord, I said, Lord, show me how to make it real to her in her little world. And I got down on one knee and I took the broken piece of crayon and I just started moving it across her paper as I said these words slowly, broken crayons steal color, broken crayons steal color. And when she realized that though it was broken, it still had just as much efficacy in it. There was still as much hue and rich nuance that her aesthetic ability had not been sucked away because it broke. She started smiling because she realized that though it was broken, it still colored. And I came to tell you today, that though you might have caught something from God and been carrying it and got broken in the process through a broken dream, through a broken marriage, through broken health, and you've been wondering, oh God, am I ever going to be able to finish what you've started in my life? Can I finish this? Just remember broken crayons, still color. Even through your failure, Broken crayons, steel color. You'll be able to catch it and carry it and convey the picture. You can still produce your picture in living color, even with a broken piece of the crayon. You didn't need the whole piece anyway. I rarely ever used up a whole stick of crayon. And little did she realize that she could take a broken piece of something and I see what God is doing in the mosaic even of this church. The uniqueness of this, how it looks so much like heaven. Where God has taken broken pieces of individuals and has created an incredible mosaic. And shown you something that is bigger than who you are in the four walls of this church. And has given you to the community. He's called you to more than what can meet the eye right here. He's saying, come step outside here and look up 
look up, your redemption draws nigh. And you'll begin to see it because there's so much more there than meets the eye. I could tell you that we don't always see the whole lineage of things, but Jesus opened up the scriptures to him in Luke chapter 23. And, and I believe that if he had to go back, he could take it back to something just like what he took us back to when he was there, that it was Moses that, remember, that wrote the first five books of the Bible. But they were prophetic of a Jesus that people really couldn't see. And the world is starving to see Jesus. And the only way that God can show them is through broken crayons. People that have failed and who needed his redemptive grace. And who could say, despite my humanity, my downfalls, my shortcomings, my insecurities, he's still, there is a rich nuance of color, hues to come out of your life. There's still just as much efficacy in the broken piece of the crayon as there was in the whole. That's the mystery of God to say that though this broke, we're still valuable to him in creating this picture. And the picture of who we see Jesus is, is scattered and tattered down through 1,500 years of history with 40 different writers in three different languages of Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic. It's amazing what God was able to paint a picture so that we could see a full composite of Jesus, not just coming from one author, but from this one. It's our grandmothers and grandfathers and mothers and fathers and and siblings and cousins and school teachers and coaches that begins to show us a different facet of the glory of God. He's the multifaceted one, the multi-faced one, the multi-breasted one. God has so many different dimensions. That's why he can't be understood in just one. He had to be known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's why in Genesis, he's the seed of the woman. In Exodus, he's a Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's our high priest. In Numbers, he's the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he's a prophet like unto Moses. In Joshua, he's the captain of our salvation. In Judges, he's our judge and lawgiver. In Ruth, he's our kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he's a trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he's our reigning king. In Ezra, he's a faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of the broken down walls of human life. In Esther, he's our Mordecai. In Job, he's our day spring on high and our ever living redeemer for I know that my redeemer liveth in Psalms he's the Lord my shepherd I shall not want who makes me to lie down in green pastures in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes he's our wisdom in Song of Solomon he's the lover and the bridegroom in Isaiah he's the prince of peace in Jeremiah he's the righteous branch in Lamentation he's a weeping prophet in Ezekiel he's a wonderful four-faced man and the wheel in the middle of a wheel in Daniel he's the fourth man in the burning fiery furnace in Hosea he's a faithful husband forever married to the backslider in Hosea, in Joel, he's a, he's a baptizer with the Holy Ghost and with fire. In Amos, he's our burden bearer. In Obadiah, he's a mighty to save. In Jonah, he's a great foreign missionary. In Micah, he's a messenger of beautiful feet. In Nahum, he's the avenger of God's elect. In Habakkuk, he's God's evangelist crying, revive thy works in the midst of the years. In Zephaniah, he's the savior. In Haggai, he's a restorer of God's lost heritage. In Zechariah, he's a fountain opened up in the house of David for sin and uncleanness. And in Malachi, he's a son of righteousness rising with healing in his wings. Who is this king? of glory. You lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. 
In Matthew, he's a Messiah. In Mark, he's a wonder worker. In Luke, he's a son of man. And in John, he's a son of God. In Acts, he's a Holy Ghost. My God, in Romans, he's our justifier. In First and Second Corinthians, he's our sanctifier. In Galatians, he's a redeemer from the curse of the law. In Ephesians, he's a Christ of unsearchable riches. In Philippians, he's our God who shall supply all of our needs according to his riches in glory. In Colossians, he's the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In First and Second Thessalonians, he's our soon coming king. In First and Second Timothy, he's our mediator between God and man. In Titus, he's a faithful pastor. In Philemon, he's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. In Hebrews, he's the blood of the everlasting covenant. In James, he's a great physician. In First and Second Peter, he's our soon coming shepherd who shall appear with a crown of unfading glory. In First, Second, and Third John, he's love. In Jude, he's the Lord coming with 10,000 of his saints. And in Revelation, he's King of kings and Lord of lords. It is this Jesus that we get the composite from various broken crayons with fallen humanity who've been able to say that there's a redemption that comes in God. He's Abel's sacrifice. He's Noah's rainbow. He's Abraham's ram in the thickets. He's Isaac's well. He's Jacob's ladder. He's Judah's scepter. He's Moses' rod. He's Elijah's mantle. He's Elisha's staff. He's Gideon's fleece. He's Samuel's horn of oil. He's David's slingshot. He's Isaiah's figs. He's Hezekiah's sundial. He's Peter's shadow. He's Paul's handkerchiefs and apron. He's Stephen's signs and wonders. He's John's pearly white city. He is the king of glory. And he's coming back. And he's looking to be able to speak to people who feel as though they have failed and who are broken. Expecting them to catch something to say it's not over yet. And to carry it. Can he trust you to carry what you caught? And then to convey it. You carry it for another generation. It is my prayer, God, don't let me die until I'm able to show your power, your strength to another generation. I've got to convey it to them. I've got to take the spirit of revival that ignited my heart when I first heard the voice of God at seven years old. I want to take it to another generation. Don't let me die before I can write the story and share with them the pictures that you've locked in my crayon. It's time now for you to catch the image, carry it, and convey it to the human canvases that await to see what God has locked in you. God bless you. I love you.